Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. This is Passion with Dr. Lori Batito and John Paul. On this edition of the podcast, the impact of porn. We'll debunk some myths and explore the healthy consumption habits, which Dr. Lori, I think it's fair to say that porn maybe is grouped in with the easy to kick around evils of the world, like yeah. the drugs and rock and roll <laughs> and pornography. And the reality is probably much like rock and roll, it's it's not as crazy as people think it is. And it's a mainstream business and, and it, you know, yeah. has lots of consumers and not everyone who consumes it is some sort of insane person. It's just exactly. a part of life. Exactly. I think there's been a lot of vilifying the industry and, you know, it's been around forever. Porn has been around for eons and eons and eons. It's it's a complex topic, so it's not so straightforward that it's good or it's bad. There's a lot of debate around it. There's a lot of uh, – that has generated a lot of myths because, you know, depending mm-hmm. on where you sit, if you are very anti-porn, you're going to cherry-pick certain things. Um, it's also a very sensitive topic, mm-hmm. <laughs> I must say. It has a lot of different uh, perspectives, but I think we need to – I'm we're going to try to present – a little more objectively, just to critically examine the whole myths around pornography and look at the research that backs up or or dispels the myths, and then look at healthy consumption habits instead of saying zero porn, like what is a healthy way mm-hmm. to consume porn? And that's not to say that there aren't a lot of people who use porn problematically. There are. So, uh, and I see plenty of those, you know, and especially over the course of the pandemic, it's been interesting to see the development of addictions and and compulsive consumption of of pornography, but other things as well. So uh, we'll have to, you know, do a little bit of a deep dive. Yeah, and I think it's it's like a lot of things in the world that there are, there are for sure, you, you, couldn't say this topic without being truthful, which is, yeah, there are probably some terrible, horrible stories of things that have happened in the pornography industry and or the result of excess consumption of pornography. That's probably 100% true. But at the same time, to be fair, you also have to say, you know, it's it's they've improved. There's things they've done better. There's eyes they have opened. Um you know, like they're, it's not all that, like you just can't take the one negative and make it the entire thing. Uh, and that's just, uh, and that's the same the for everything, story. really. Yes, and without the whole story. So yeah. just full disclosure for people because, you know, some people might call me hypocritical maybe or, or what have you. But I, um, you know, seven years ago or so, I teamed up with Pornhub to uh, create a sex education site on their platform. It's called the Pornhub Sexual Wellness Center. And it it really is about, and we talk about the problematic use of porn and we talk about everything, but from a evidence-based 
perspective. And uh, like, I'm just, I want to put it out there because obviously the association with that name, which has had garnered some really bad press, but I also know that it's very one-sided, very one-sided. And they've, they've done everything to clean up whatever, whatever, uh, things were problematic around it that they've, you know, I was very confident that they did what was necessary in order to, to clean up whatever needed to be cleaned up. So, um, I'm just putting it, putting it out there. So it's not because I am. Yeah. And, and I'm, I'm on that site. It's transparent, but I'm also not, I'm not pro porn. I'm not anti porn. So it's not, uh, you know, I I look at both sides, and I have written about the problematic use of porn. I have written about, you know, ethical porn and all kinds of stuff. So it's not like I'm, uh, I work for them. I work with them <laughs> and, you know, uh, like combating a lot of um, bad information that's out there and mm-hmm. just combating the 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 what people are learning through porn with real sex education. So to me, it's a very important role that I took on. It's a very important project. And I'm actually, I'm very grateful that I can reach that many people to be able to discuss this. So I just want to put. Yeah. And I will, I will back that up with, with these comments. Uh, We have over the course of this podcast and in your previous life as a broadcaster, uh, you know, we have talked about many different angles of pornography and we've heard stories of people that have made incredible careers from it and are very proud of their careers and their moms and dads and taxpayers and they go to little league and, but they're, they're proud of their work because it's, you know, to them, it's an art and it's a craft. Uh, and you've also been very fair to cover the other side of it too, where something needs to be addressed and you address it. So um, I think, again, I, th- I think your point is a valid one is like, Hey, this is about the information information and how you take the information and use it in your life uh, from a sex and health uh, health and well-being sort of focus and if we can provide you that information you can always decide we're not really taking sides um, we're just gonna let you decide absolutely and we're gonna use the science that's available at our disposal the, there's plenty and plenty of research done in this area uh, that uh, that we can back up whatever statements we make too. Uh, we love for you to join us in our community. We appreciate that you're here at the podcast. Make sure you follow us on Instagram as well. Please do. Passion with uh, Dr. Lori and John, and you can get updates and tidbits and little bits of advice and all kinds of stuff. We do love your questions. You can submit them at drlaurie.com or via direct message. So let's get you some answers and go to the mailbag. Love, sex, relationships. It can get complicated. We all have questions. Dr. Lori helps with the answers you need. We will start with this one, Dr. Lori. After a strange scare that ended with me in the hospital, I finally ended up with a diagnosis that explains my horrible periods. Endometriosis? Endometriosis. Oh, yeah, that's pretty close. Uh, this couldn't have come at a weirder time as I was I was also I also recently got out of a long-term relationship where I hadn't had sex for over a year. Now that I'm single, I want to get out there and meet new partners, maybe even have a little no strings attached sex. But I'm also faced with the fact that my uterine health is in shambles. I know how that it can be uh, painful on the sex side of things. Is there anything I can do to prevent and or combat this? 
Good question. Uh, first of all, painful sex or painful intercourse can be a common symptom of endometriosis, but there are diff- definitely ways that it can be managed. So a few things. First of all, talk to your doctors to, to talk about pain management techniques, maybe medications you can take prior to intercourse, maybe physical therapy or pelvic floor physiotherapy is a huge recommendation here. Using a lubrication, like an external lubricant, can make sex a lot more comfortable and maybe reduce some of the friction and some of the pain. Part of the problem that causes the pain is also uh, there can be some specific positions that may create more pain for you. So experiment with the positions and only stick with the ones that are more comfortable for you. So you need to, that's an experimentation, like you need to figure it out. Uh, You also have to take it really slow. I, I believe that this is something that you should talk to a potential partner about. Uh, communicating with a partner about what feels good and what doesn't instead of, you know, biting the bullet while they're doing it, that's not going to help anybody. Uh, Otherwise you are going to, it's going to lead to avoiding sex. So uh, I think it's important that you communicate with your partner. And then there are also other ways to be intimate without having intercourse. So Mm -hmm. exploring cuddling, kissing, sensual massage, other types of, of stimulation I think nobody should be pressured into having sex if you're not comfortable with it. You have the right to prioritize your health and your well-being. That includes your sexual health. So you may have this idea or this fantasy of, oh, wouldn't it be great to just have casual sex or what have you? Don't feel like you have to push yourself to it, though. Do what's comfortable and take the time to find what works for you and your particular body. Also in the mailbag, Dr. Lori, I guess as a guy, I've just always assumed that sex toys for men were creepy blow-up dolls, but it's 2023 and apparently things have come a long way for both sexes. My girlfriend's got a whole drawer full of sex toys uh, and her favorite was only invented recently. It's called the Satisfier. I'm curious if you knew whether there's been big inventions for sex toys for men in the past decade. Um that we should all be checking out of instead of sticking to just trusty porn slash dominant hand combinations. I might've made an, a boo because I think we've already answered this question. I was okay. reading it and I think, yeah, I've, cause I think didn't we call yeah. you the big satisfier? Well, people have called me the satisfier before, right, but right. that's not here nor there. <laughs> well, just like, okay, we're here. We've got this, this question. Maybe, you know, I forgot to take it out of the pile of questions. So I'll just answer. Or it's it coming it, so it's, much. It's not a big deal. No, I'm sure it's not. This, I'm sure it's pretty much the same. Multiple guys think they're the satisfier. Yes, right. Well, there's the satisfier, the womanizer. There's some great sex toys for women, but there are also things for men now, like prostate massagers that, if, of course, they go in, into your butt, uh, some on the inside, some on, for the outside in terms of massaging the, the male uh, prostate gland, which brings a lot of pleasure for a lot of guys. Not all guys like it, but a lot of guys like it. Uh, there's all kinds of remote-controlled sex toys that can be used. I mean, yeah, gone are the days of the blow-up dolls because that nobody uses those. Those are just gag things. But there's cock rings, vibrating cock rings, vibrating sleeves that simulate the... Uh, the feel of the inside of a vagina, for example. There's there's sleeves that simulate the inside of an anus. There's all kinds of stuff like that that are to help men with sensation when it comes to masturbation. So 
Yes, we've come a long way to developing toys for men. (laughs) Uh, We love your questions, even if we accidentally repeat them somewhere along the way. Um, We do love them. You can submit them anytime. Sex, love, or relationships at drlaurie.com. Passion for learning, life, and love. Coming up in Sex in the News, oral sex is fueling an epidemic of throat cancer, according to one doctor. What do you need to know in minutes? First, the myths about pornography. (laughs) Well, let's start with the myths, and let's start with the one that uh, people say, uh, oh, pornography leads to violence. That if you consume pornography, it leads to an increase in violent behavior. But there has been extensive research that has looked at this, and there has never been uh, an established causal relationship between pornography consumption and real life violence. So yes, it's nobody's saying that individuals who commit violent acts don't consume pornography, but there's no causation. So you have to be careful that there's a, there may be a correlation, but same with if you take your average person too who might consume there's plenty of people who consume lots of uh lo- lots of pornography even uh compulsively who have never in their life uh, you know been violent ever so we have to be very careful that we look at the evidence that there has never been a causal link between those two things and that's really really important um Another myth is that of addiction. In other words, that addiction or pornography addiction is widespread, affects a huge portion of the population, which is not true. When you look at the sheer volume of numbers of people who consume porn every day worldwide, these are not all addicts. In fact, just a very small, very small, tiny portion of of those individuals who may um, experience uh, compulsive or problematic patterns of pornography consumption. So, and in the mental health circle, by the way, pornography addiction is not a thing. In other words, it's not in the DSM, like the the uh, the diagnostic ma- manual that we use. It's not in there. Uh, compulsive use is, but. Uh, Addiction, not so much. So there's a lot more research that's needed in order to understand, uh, you know, excessive pornography consumption. Uh, so that's still being uh, being researched. But there's not enough to suggest that pornography addiction is itself a diagnosis. But when I have seen um, compulsive users of porn it's not the porn that's the problem. There's an underlying problem, whether it's anxiety, whether it's relationship issues, whether it's uh, excessive amounts of stress, trauma, things like that, that lead to the, uh, let's call it the addictive behavior. But it's not the porn that causes the addiction, something else. That is the symptom of something else. So it's really, really important. Another myth is that all pornography is somehow exploitative and harmful. That's not to say that some pornography involves exploitation or unethical practices. It's true. Uh, but it is not all pornography that fits this description. There's such a range of content that is available, including 
what's called ethically produced and consensually created pornography, which I think is really important. And if you're going to consume, maybe, you know, go towards the ethically produced pornography and pay, pay for it. (laughs) In other words, like this, you're, you're paying somebody for their work in a way, um, not in a way, in, in actuality. So I think it's important to be able to distinguish between whether it's exploitative content or content that promotes more uh, healthy sexual expression. So we have to be careful when we make all or nothing statements, and that's what this is about, right? It's not all pornography. Mm-hmm. That's not to say some. Um So another one is that watching pornography leads to unrealistic expectations about sex. Okay, here the reality is that lots of pornography can depict exaggerated or unrealistic sexual scenarios, right? Like we all know this. It's very true. What happens in porn rarely happens in real life. However, the research suggests that most people can tell the difference, Right, They can differentiate between fantasy and reality. So, yes, it's true that for some people, watching a lot of porn, especially when you're young, could lead to unrealistic expectations about sex. But the majority of porn consumers absolutely know the difference between fantasy and reality. The same way that they consume other forms of entertainment that has many unrealistic elements, like... Fast and the Furious, or uh, you could name any number of wrestling, anything, a- anything yep. that is completely—it's uh, entertainment. That's what it's made for. It's not education. It's entertainment, and they know the difference. Uh, they can still have a healthy understanding of what real life experiences are. Most people know that real women don't behave this way, or real men don't look like that, or whatever it is. So I think this is why. When we approach pornography, we have to do it with a critical eye. So it's important to have that critical thinking uh, and understand that it is a form of entertainment. It is not a representation of all sexual encounters. So this is really, uh, this is to me the biggest thing that we need to kind of talk about. Uh, Another myth is that consuming pornography leads to relationship problems or leads to infidelity. No, sometimes yes, it can absolutely affect a relationship, but there's so much more to it than just the pornography. It depends so much more on individual circumstances, on communication within the relationship, on values, on boundaries, expectations, uh, concerns related to pornography that, uh, you know, maybe can help prevent misunderstandings as well. Like, so there's a lot of that uh, that creates the relationship issues. It's not just the pornography automatically leading to that. Uh, you mentioned this earlier that people who watch porn, uh, the myth is that they have underlying psychological issues or mm-hmm. are somehow sexually deviant. No, it is so mainstream that it is so common and a normal aspect of human sexuality for so many people. That's not to say you're not normal if you don't watch porn. It's just that watching porn does not automatically indicate that you have some kind of psychological issue or that you are deviant. We know that sexual interests and preferences can vary so widely and what you find arousing may not be what I found arousing and it just varies so much. Um, 
and finally, another myth is that all pornography is somehow addictive. That is so not true because we'd have a world full of addicts if that was the case. So yes, some individuals struggle with compulsive or problematic use of pornography, but to assume that everyone who watches porn is automatically addicted is a big, big um, falsehood. So I think it's really important that we need to understand that addictive behavior is the symptom of a bigger problem and that it isn't the fault of the porn. It's that that is the, becomes the, the, the choice, the, the, uh, substance of choice, if you will, um, for somebody who has other issues. So I think that's really important. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. What about the reverse of that being the positive aspects of pornography? Because we said we want to sort of give both both sides, like debunk the myths, and then also talk about uh, some of the positive stories. Yeah, absolutely. I think it, it is important because even as sex therapists, we do recommend sometimes consumption for couples, for example, in terms of uh, some exploration. So it can provide some some education about human sexuality. Uh, of course, that's not where you should get your ed- education from, but I us- usually tend to steer people towards ethically produced porn that can uh, give you a window into various sexual practices and we talk about consent, communication, looking at porn to explore your desires and preferences in a safe manner. So sometimes people have certain fetishes or certain things that they're interested in that they learn about by watching uh, pornography or erotica or what have you. So definitely in that in that way, like if you say, if somebody says, oh, I think I'm interested in BDSM and I, I don't know anything about it, or but I know I'm drawn to it, and then they start watching it, they're like, oh, yeah, that's it. Like that's something that arouses me. So sometimes the discovery of what arouses a person. So you get to learn about your own sexuality. Uh, another thing is about uh, sexual discovery. You discover a little bit more about yourself. It can serve as a tool, right, to understand your own desires and preferences and all that, which can help um, to a sense of uh, giving you a sense of, of uh, sexual well-being or, or self-discovery, maybe promoting self-acceptance. Remember back in the day before it was easily acceptable when people had fetishes or interests that were outside of the norm, they panicked. They thought there was something really wrong with them. Like it was the opposite of self-acceptance. It was a lot of shame. A lot. And then when the internet became easily accessible and people found their people, like they found groups of, of let's say you were interested in feet and then you found a whole community of foot fetishists, you, it was much easier to accept yourself. Mm-hmm. And so there was so that that played an important role. Uh, the role of fantasy and arousal it can serve as a tool for arousal. It can help people uh, and and couples too to uh, to just ignite some of the arousal because sometimes we need a little more visual or we need something that uh, that can spark that um, that arousal. So when I when couples watch it together. Uh, it can enhance their sexual 
relationship. It, it can also facilitate sharing and discussing sexual fantasies. Uh, it can facilitate uh, communication about that or maybe even experiment, ex- like experimenting, uh, talking about our boundaries, like, oh, no, I wouldn't do that or this. Yeah, that might, I might be willing to try or things like that. So that can certainly add to it. It can also broaden your perspective on uh, sexuality because you're exposed to a wide range of of sexual behaviors, sexual orientation, sexual identities, all of that stuff. So that can actually help in uh, challenging or broaden your uh, your perspective, and may and hopefully you develop a more accepting attitude toward diverse forms of sexual expression. So there, there's also that. Uh, it can help um... with the Lucky Land slots. You can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Uh, for people who experience shame or stigma around their own sexuality, that could be also a space. Pornography could be a space where you could normalize or validate some of what you're feeling, like I talked about in terms of if, especially if you have a fetish or, or what have you. So the bottom line to me is that you have to um, approach these a potential positive aspect still with critical thinking and an awareness of the limitations and also the ethical concerns that are associated with the porn industry. So I do believe that because not all pornography is created ethically. There can be uh, sometimes negative consequences if if there's no consideration for boundaries, consent, and uh, the you know, what's happening to the people in, in these porn productions, because it's not, they're not all created equal, right? So we're not talking about, remember, there's some pornography out there that is illegal, that exploits uh, children, people, uh, we have to be careful. So if you want to be a good consumer, then look into ethical consumption or ethical production of pornography and see what the difference is. Um, I think that makes, I think that helps the industry in the long Mm -hmm. run. (laughs) You know what I mean? If we are all asking for ethically produced porn, that can change the, the way that porn is produced. Well, yeah, it's like any, it's like any other product, right? When the consumers say, Hey, I don't want fur or I don't want, you know, these products in, in my soda, when the when the consumers speak up, those that are producing the product, they will change, and I exactly. don't see why this would be any different. Exactly, I think it's uh, it's important, yeah. And I think people have to start thinking about instead of eliminating porn, and sometimes you need to. So if you have compulsive 
pornography use, you there if you go see a, a, a sex addiction therapist or specialist, they're going to tell you like 90 day sobriety, like n- nothing, no sexuality at all for 90 days. You know, mm-hmm. uh, they treat it like any other uh, addiction in a way. And then you have to learn how to use uh, how to have a healthier sexuality because it's not like you can't it's not like crack cocaine right you get it you can't just um n- never have sex again you can never do crack again but you sexuality is an integral part of who we are as humans so you have to find a a, a healthy approach to sexuality uh, and that's really really important you know so developing healthy consumption habits means be a critical mm-hmm. thinker. First and foremost, be a critical thinker of what you are watching. Recognize the difference between fantasy and reality. Understand the potential impact on your attitudes, your beliefs, and uh, be very mindful of uh, ethical production and consumption of pornography. So that's approaching it in a healthy manner. Having open communication uh, about pornography within your relationship. So doing it as your dirty secret isn't going to help the the relationship. But having a conversation in an open and honest way, I think this way partners can establish boundaries together regarding porn use. They can discuss preferences. They can address concerns that arise from pornography consumption. Sometimes people feel insecure or they don't understand or they might say, uh, well, is that what you want me to do? Or does that, are you looking at this because this is what you want me to look like? Like sometimes we have these insecurities that we take in and uh, it can make us feel like icky, right? It can make us feel like, oh, our partner's looking at this. What's wrong with me? And so you need to understand the difference between, hey, you're a real human. This is a fantasy. and But it at least opens up the conversation. And I think it's really, really important that we do that. Uh, I think, um, again, if you want to have really uh, healthy consumption, then look at ethically produced uh, pornography. That can be a, a healthier consumption habit. So there's all kinds of content creators who do prioritize consent, diversity, more realistic portrayals of sexuality. I would say look for female produced porn or just type in ethically produced porn and you will find different things. So I think that, um, you know, bottom line, this it's such a multifaceted topic that, uh, it's like it's important to just understand it's a much wider much yeah. bigger issue than just it's bad it's good no now if you do find that your consumption habits are somehow negatively impacting your well-being your relationships your daily functioning if you can't get through the day without spending a lot of time on pornography you you should consider getting support from a therapist a counselor a support group something uh, that you need to you need to be able to look at this. You know, I think com- communicating with your partner about your consumption, about pornography, about your boundaries, about your preferences, all of these things is really important. Do not forget that pornography is a form of media and entertainment. It is not a substitute for real life relationships. It is not a substitute for intimacy. Or communication. So keeping this balanced perspective is really is really important. If you rely on excessive 
use of pornography, you are not getting out there and living your real life. You're living in a fantasy world. So uh, for most of the uh, of the time, and that cannot be healthy, whether you live in the fantasy world of, of games or pornography. <laughs> yes. Right? It's not just about pornography. This can be applied to so many other forms of media. That's the thing. Yeah. Well, there, there are fun media for gambling. There's fun media uh, for, for many different things like food consumption and whatnot. Like you have to understand what you're watching and the point of view it's coming from and what the outcome or expectation is. It, it's not to me- ne- meant to necessarily be your guide in life. Well, if you told me that you spent eight hours a day playing, uh, I don't know, a video game, mm-hmm. I, I would I would have the same reaction to you telling me you spent all day looking through porn, right? <laughs> it would be it would be like, hey, you're not getting out there, you're not socializing, no human contact. Uh, what are you avoiding? Uh, what you know, like we we'd be looking at the underlying issues that lead you to consume so much of that that media. Yeah. So. Makes complete sense. Yeah. So I hope I think. Listen, pornography is a huge, huge topic. So really, in this short podcast, I just wanted to just address some of the myths and maybe and and just the the, the healthy perspective. I mean, we. You know, maybe we'll get letters from people saying, oh, you didn't talk about this or that, but obviously we're limited in time. But if there are topics about this that you want me to address, and we can, we can do, we can do it on the, the, the impact on relationships. We could do it, uh, you know, we could do many, many different aspects of it. So if there is one area that you want us to address, then please send us a, a note. Uh, you can send it directly to me, Laurie at drlaurie.com, and uh, we'll, we'll be happy to discuss it. Yeah, we're not going to cure everything all in in one edition, but as people give feedback and whatnot, it gives us further gasoline for next uh, editions of the show. And at the same time, we can steer it in directions people are interested in. The headlines to headboards. This is Sex in the News. Our crazy sex story involves a lawsuit against a school because their teen had sex at school. Um... Interesting. We'll get into that in a moment. Uh, First, in the headlines, oral sex is fueling an epidemic of throat cancer, according to one doctor. Yeah, so this is out of the U.S. This is an article written by Brooke Cato. Oral sex is the X-rated culprit behind a wave of throat cancer cropping up in the U.S., fueling a so-called epidemic. According to Hisham Mahana, a professor at the Institute of Cancer and Genomic Sciences at the University of Birmingham, the human papillomavirus is to blame, HPV. For oropharyngeal cancer, the main risk factor is the number of lifetime sexual partners, especially oral sex. Cases of HPV-linked oropharyngeal cancer, a type of throat cancer, rose annually by 1.3% in women and 2.8% in men from 2015 to 2019. The CDC estimates that 70% of these cancers, which affects the tonsils, base of the tongue, and back of the throat, are caused by HPV infection in the U.S. Past studies have shown that multiple sexual partners could increase the risk of catching HPV and in turn developing mouth or throat cancer. 
So HPV accounts for an estimated 70% of those oropharyngeal cancers. Uh, In 2021, researchers discovered that people with 10 or more oral sex partners were more than four times more likely to develop HPV-related mouth and throat cancers. People don't use condoms when it comes to um, oral sex. So as you can imagine, this is part of the... Uh, the problem. So, and a lot, like 41% of teens from 15 to 19 participate in uh, oral sex and young people 15 to 24 were responsible for nearly half of the 26 million new STD infections in 2018. Um, And HPV is the most common sexually transmitted infection that estimates, that affects an estimated 42 million Americans. So we're talking about a huge chunk of the population, somewhere around, usually 75% of people have had some form of HPV, most of which disappears on its own, but there are certain strains that are cancer causing. So I think it's really important that understanding that nearly everybody will get the virus at some point in their, uh, in their, in their life. So, um, unfortunately you just don't know what strain you're going to get. And there are some strains that cause cancer, whether cervical cancer or oropharyngeal cancers, mouth cancers or throat cancers. So that's the hard, that's the difficult part. That's the difficult part. So the vaccine, you know, there's a vaccine, right? So the, uh, right. So the men are getting vaccinated as uh, like girls and boys are being um, vaccinated. And the, the guidelines suggest that 11 and 12 year olds should receive two doses of the HPV um, vaccine, but you can get it up till 40 years old, apparently. So, or, or even more, uh, right now, about 54% of adolescents in the U S had received the vaccine as of 2020. So if you're hot and heavy into the oral sex, random partners game, perhaps on your next, uh, checkup with your physician, you might want to have a conversation about this. <laughs> I think it's important. Or at, yeah. at the very least, you listen, there are flavored condoms made for that reason, right? For or, oral sex practices and stuff. So I think um, it's just not, it's something that we all know we should be protecting our mouth, our throat, because <laughs> whatever you can catch in your genitals, you can catch in your throat. So whether it be gonorrhea or something else, you can get an infection in the throat. So using it's just we need to we need to prioritize or to to make it somehow sexy to use protection during oral sex just i don't think very many people use protection during oral sex unfortunately uh finally in the headlines a urologist has revealed seven things that keep sex after 50 Hotter than ever. <laughs> yeah. This is right up my, uh, I was in my, say, this right in up my wheelhouse. Hour. It wasn't me who wrote it, but I, yeah, I could have told you the exact same things, but that that's fine. Uh, I just figure somebody else can say it. So this is from a urologist out of Maryland. Her name is Dr. Rena Malik. She did a video giving people advice, which I, I liked. And, you know, obviously as we age, things happen, lower testosterone, erectile dysfunction, there's menopause, there's libido dipping with age, things like that. So definitely there's an impact. Age is an impact. So some things that she talked about is um, try, uh, have sex in the morning. Why? Because your testosterone 
uh, is the highest in the morning and then it gradually decreases throughout the day. So if you have higher testosterone in the morning, you'll have more of a desire for sex. You'll probably have a better erection. Uh, you'll be less tired, etc. So that's something. Uh, she says, keep uh, consider your medical history. In other words, keep track of your medications as you get older. You know, you take medication, yep. conditions, da da da. That a lot of times we take medication and we don't recognize or understand or have been told that there will be sexual side effects. And there are lots of sexual side effects to lots of medication. So talking to your doctor about it or the pharmacist is really important. As you get older, you need to take a, a little more time. So spontaneous desire, like just being plain old horny, becomes it just comes less often. <laughs> That's just the reality. Uh, however, uh, and, and you also don't get aroused as quickly, so it can take a little bit of time to build up. You know, we have responsive desire. So it may not be spontaneous, but it is responsive, which means it reacts to direct sexual stimulation. So that, that, that's just because it takes more time doesn't mean there's something wrong with you. It, that this is normal, uh, experimenting with your whole body, uh, because as you age, it can take longer to reach orgasm. And that's whether you're male or female, our genitals become a little less responsive for women. Sometimes they, they complain of a, a kind of a numbing in the, in the clitoris. So it can take a lot longer to reach orgasm, um, so there's that. Using lubrication because of the decreased blood flow and, and lubrication in uh, the vagina can cause painful sex. So it's really important to do that. Uh, we Women also have pelvic floor issues, which can lead to uh, difficulties because the, the muscles supporting the vagina aren't as strong. Um, low testosterone in men can lead to delayed ejacula ejaculation as well as erectile dysfunction. So it's important to experiment with different types of things that stimulate uh, the different areas, she says, of the spinal cord because of that numbness that you want to use different things. So she says use sex toys, lubricants, uh, she says even BDSM to provide more sensation to the genitals and other areas of the body. Using lubricants and other sex aids that, that can help uh, with mobility and weakness or fatigue. Like the, There's all kinds of like pillows and wedges and things like that that can help support you physically uh, during sex. She even suggests like a sex swing. Um, she says, be optimistic. The brain is the most powerful organ you have for sex. She cited a study that looked at, um, found that those who were more optimistic about their sex lives were more likely to have more frequent and more satisfying sex. So there's that, especially looked at years later. Uh, and look at other options. So maybe it's not about uh, intercourse, but maybe it's about outer course or other forms of sexual intimacy as well. And finally, our crazy sex story. A Utah teen had sex at school and his uh, Latter-day Saint parents sued the school district and lost. Yes, they and you'll you can imagine. Do you really think the school should have control over this kind of thing? Anyway, here's the story. So the parents of a student have sued, sued their school district. They argued that uh, lax superv supervision led to their son having sex in the high school's parking lot. It was the last week of school. And in that last week, they weren't really taking attendance. A lot of people were, you know, you know how it is in the last week of school. People linger around in the halls and 
what have you. And so there was a bit of unsupervised time. And the uh, one student, his parents said they later learned, used the unsupervised time to have sex with his girlfriend three times during school hours in the parking lot. So the Latter-day Saint couple, whose faith prohibits premarital sex, sued the district and some administrators, arguing that their constitutional rights to parent their child and freedom of religion had been violated. The core argument of the complaint was that since the district gave students free time, it did not do enough to, quote, to aid their efforts as parents to prevent their son from having sex. Um... But if the parents have not provided any authority supporting the proposition that the government has a constitutional duty to help them parent their son. So imagine making the school responsible and blaming them because the district somehow provided the opportunity for their child to engage in premarital sex while on school grounds, which they claim violated the family's free exercise of religion. And the the school was like, we didn't didn't coerce the family (laughs) to act contrary to a religious belief. We didn't coerce the kid. Into yeah, we weren't even paying attention to your kid. <laughs> but I find it interesting that they're blaming the school for the, un, you know, the kid's a grown, like, a, an, a, like a teen, right? Exactly. It's not like he's going to find a way to have sex if he wants to have sex. I don't even think you need to say research has shown that. Life has shown that. Yeah. Horny is, a horny young person is a, uh, uh, it's a mission that's almost unstoppable. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Anyhow, I want to thank everybody for being part of this journey with us. Uh, thank yes. you uh, to Stephen Voice, our musical director, to Alex, our uh, um, Instagram person, uh, Linda, our researcher, and thanks to you, John, for being part of my week every week. I'm happy to do it on our next edition of Passion. We'll talk about sexuality and pleasure after trauma. All righty. So make sure wherever you listen to the podcast, if you can offer up a five-star rating and or review, if you could do that, it'd be super helpful because the more reviews and comments and likes you have, the more the algorithms serve us up to other people that might want to join the community as well. So if you could do that small thing, we would appreciate it. Dr. Lori, we'll chat next week. Passion with Dr. Lori Batito and John Paul. To submit questions, business inquiries, or just to connect, visit drlori.com. Thank you for supporting passion.